Hey there, welcome to my new podcast. So I had this idea yesterday. And today I'm recording the first episode of what will maybe be a daily podcast for the rest of my goddamn life. Today is kind of an introductory episode, episode zero. But the idea is I want to do a little podcast that just chronicles my, my little journey of writing a novel. Some of these episodes might be longer if I got stuff to ramble about. I feel like I got a lot of stuff, a lot of ideas in my head that I want to talk about, about writing and discipline and the craft and whatever. But we'll have lots of time to get to all those but some episodes might be really short. Maybe I'll just describe what I did the previous day. And that'll be that. But basically the idea is, I've always liked podcasts about writing. There's none that I listen to right now, but I would dip into some here and again. And I mean, I don't know how much I actually learned from any of them, much as I don't know if you'll learn anything from this. But I just enjoyed hearing about the process, you know, like just hearing someone else talk about their toiling away at writing just put me in the right mood. It was like, all right, cool, that guy's working, that girl's working, now I'm going to get working. And more and more as I get older, I'm 38, so I've been around the block a few times, I've seen a lot of goddamn movies or read a lot of books. Watched a lot of TV. I kind of don't give a shit anymore, <laughs> you know? I'm hitting that point where I just feel like everything is bad. But what I'm still extremely interested in is the behind the scenes, the making of, the how a thing gets produced, because uh, as I get older, I've definitely just seen in my own life how hard it is to bring anything to completion, to actually finish a project. It's very tough. Then for it to be any good, you know, that's an extra layer of difficulty. But even that, it almost doesn't matter. It's like the the process is really the thing. If you can't find a way to, like, live in the process and enjoy the process, it doesn't matter what comes out the other end. Like, if you're just miserable and grind away and grind away and make something that's great, well, good for you, I guess, but... Who gives a shit? I mean, it's weird to say, but we're in such a media flood where everything's digital and everything is available and there's no barriers to entry. I can just have any movie, any book, any album, any anything that I want. So in a weird way, if you make something great, kind of who fucking cares? Good for you, but there's a hundred thousand other things that are also out there that are probably pretty cool probably of comparable value. Whereas on the other hand, if you have a lot of fun making something and then at the end of the day it's a piece of shit, well, so what? There's also a hundred billion other pieces of shit. You're not really hurting anything. And you had fun doing it. Like, that's kind of more valuable. And I think the first method is kind of a fallacy anyway. Anyone who is just being miserable and just grinding out whatever creative endeavor that they think is important because they think this is the way to do it. Is the thing on the other end going to be any good? Of course it's not. How could it be? You know, if you don't feel that the person making it was having fun, it's going to suck. 
This is probably a bad sign that uh, my very first episode, I'm already just rambling and barely making sense, but I guess basically what I'm trying to say is that the result is not really important. The process is important. And what's important about the result is just that there is one. It's just to get to a final result. So I've been working on this novel for about three months working on it every day, and I'm noticing that it's already getting to be, like, heavier, kind of more ponderous feeling. I don't know, another thing, I guess, that may be uh, annoying about listening to this podcast series is it will also be just riddled with contradictions, because that's the other thing with starting to hit your middle age, is you realize that there's just really is two sides to everything, and that that there really is never a singular answer. And if you have a singular answer for something, then you don't actually have the answer. Like, until you can find the contradiction, you're not done. So there's the two sides of, I've been working on this book for three months, every day. I've missed a few days, but very few. That's going to be a big theme in this podcast, is that working every day is important. It doesn't matter how much you work each day, just that you do work each day. So that's establishing momentum and a good habit. And the more momentum you have, the easier it is to maintain. The longer you maintain a habit, the harder it is to break it. Even if it's a good habit, it works similarly to a bad habit. They're both, once they're ingrained, it's hard to stop. I don't know why I decided to do my first episode while I'm walking up a hill. Fucking dying here, but uh... Like, that's something that when someone just says it, when they say, oh, a good habit is as hard to break as a bad habit, it sounds like a little platitude. But I think it's actually true. Because I was thinking of teeth brushing. And that that was a habit that got drilled into me as a kid. And I'm really glad it did, because I have friends who that was not the case, and they find it really tough to brush their teeth. They just don't do it. They don't keep up with it. Whereas I feel so uncomfortable when I don't brush my teeth. If I don't brush my teeth, it's because I'm just so exhausted that I can barely move. I don't like breaking the good habit. So three months of writing every day is not quite enough for a habit. Although I've been like doing it pretty consistently for about three years. We'll get into that in due time. But it's getting there, so that's the upside. But, at the same time, there is just something about getting deeper into a project and, like, kind of acknowledging to yourself that, okay, this is important now. This is a thing I'm really focusing on. This is a thing I really care about. This is a thing I really want to finish. And that makes it feel heavier and harder and more complicated and more difficult. And there's that weird, self-sacrificial part of your brain like, if you ever read uh, The War of Art, it's all about this, this concept. Yeah, you just, you resist it. You just want to stop for some stupid fucking reason. Well, I mean, basically the reason is to strike out on your own to such a degree, to work on something that's only individual to you, is so counter to human nature, you know, our, like, tribal nature. It's so 
counter what seems like a survival tactic is like you're not supposed to spend three months or three years or three anything just working on something that's only for you but we are in that world now where you can do that and there is a benefit to that but your crazy tribal brain does not like it at all and will fight tooth and nail to make you stop and I'm definitely starting to feel that so so I had this idea like if if I could put my feet to the fire a little more you know I'm deep enough in this three months into writing this book that it's established it is totally a real thing that I'm doing not just a flight of fancy if I make a little podcast where every day I have to put out an episode and every day I have to say what I did the day before even if it isn't much that's fine just as long as I did something each day then I think having this extra level of accountability will be handy for me. So hopefully someone will enjoy listening to this just to, you know, to have a little check-in once in a while of like, just to vicariously, you know, hear the, the journal of someone who is working on a novel. If you're working on one too, maybe that's cool. I'll have my rambly thoughts about shit that maybe something will be handy, who knows. But at the same time, I think this will help me. And I'm actually kind of even looking forward where I'm quite confident that I'm going to finish this book. But after that, it's not over, you know? That's uh, something else that I'll get into. I mean, maybe tomorrow, but uh, I have finished writing a nonfiction book before. I've never finished writing a novel, but this nonfiction book that I wrote it was about video games, and uh, I finished it, and I thought that was the end. I'm like, I did it. I made it to the end. Finally, after all this time, I wrote a book. And what I found out is that I hadn't made it to the end. I'd made it to the start. Like, I made it to step one. Now, what do I do with this book? How do I get it in front of people? And that was quite a shock that after all this time, I thought I'd been failing to get to the finish line, but I'd been failing to get to the starting line, you know? There's so much more to do. So that's where I think this podcast will really help me is, you know, a year from now or maybe longer, however long it takes to finish this book and then to revise it and like to tighten it up and like, all right, here it is, it's done. At that point, the task is not done. It's not even close to done. And I've got to keep up with the daily grind of it. Like, even if it's crazy slow, even if one day I just, like, look up publishers and one day I just buy an envelope and the next day I just buy a stamp. I don't even know if you physically send books anymore or if it's more of an email thing, but, you know, even if I just look that up or whatever. As long as I do something every day, eventually the task will be completed and I, that's, I guess, that's the part that I don't trust myself. Because I've been down that road where I guess I kind of wrote a book. I mean, I wrote a kid's book some years back that I thought was really good and I was really proud of, but I never sent it out anywhere. I never did that final step. And I'll talk about that more specifically later, too. But yeah, this podcast, I'm going to make this part of my, my fucking strategy where right now I'm writing the book and I'm not even worrying about 
publishers and how to submit things and blah blah blah. I can figure that all out later. But I will, even if it's very, very slow. <laughs> and hopefully you'll come along with me on this journey. I'll also get into uh, my particular circumstances. I'm pretty much fully fucking beast mode right now of just like, all I'm doing is working on this book. I don't have a job. I'm just spending the winter working on a book. And it might seem like, you know, those circumstances don't mesh with your circumstances. Like, well, I don't have all fucking day to work on a book, so what fucking use is this? This advice is not going to be useful. Or this, uh, this won't inspire me or spur me on. But one thing, as, uh, as I go on, as I chronicle how much I'm doing each day, this, I think, is kind of the main thing that I've learned. If I've learned anything, any effective technique, this is really all that it is, is it doesn't matter how much you do each day. It just matters that you do it each day, that you just don't break the chain, that you just keep going. The amount that I write in a day, it's so small most of the time. It seems ridiculous. Like, if, if you can set aside 20 minutes a day, you can get the same amount done as I'm getting done. Sometimes I write one sentence, like if I really feel gummed up and I'm really kind of stuck, it might not even be an actual sentence in the book. It might be just like a dash and then just a lowercase, no punctuation scrawl of where things should go tomorrow. And even that might not be set in stone. Like the first word might be maybe, you know, maybe so-and-so waits outside the office until jerk-off shows up. Or maybe they get tired of waiting and they go in the office and look for him. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's all I did on a given day. And then I'll sleep on it and then the next day I've got that as a starting point. And this little bit, even just working on something a little bit every day, over these three months, I don't know how many words I've got. I'm not a fan of word counts. But I'm on chapter 12 of this book, whatever that means. Who knows how many chapters. I feel like I'm about a third of the way through a first draft, but I might only be a quarter. It's hard to say, because another thing I've noticed is that the notes I took before I started, or the ideas for this story, they have kind of paid off less than I expected. I ate them up real quick, and I got less out of them than I expected. But the things that have just blossomed out of writing every day, the cool little ideas and conversations and things that have gone on. Those have been way more than I expected. Like they've been paying off like crazy. So it's hard to say exactly. If I judge by the notes I've got and where this story's ultimately leading to, I feel like I'm about a third of the way. But based on how things just keep kind of blooming, the fungal bloom, maybe I'm only a quarter. But that I got through all that in only three months, I mean, that's completely acceptable, I think, for a book, <laughs> you know, for the amount of time. I feel like it generally seems like the general thing is about two years to write a book, I guess. I mean, if you look at it that way, I think I'm ahead of schedule. But I kind of think of it like, uh, like chipping away at rocks, like I got a pickaxe and I'm just chipping away at a rock wall. And one day I'll just chip out a little piece, the next day another little chip, 
And then every once in a while, a bunch of rocks just tumble down. Like I'll just be sitting there and instead of struggling to get from sentence to sentence, suddenly I write a whole page. And I'm just like, oh, sweet, look at that, that is cool. But I think not only is a slow pace acceptable, I think it's kind of required. I mean, at least for me, maybe it's different for all people, but I really feel like writing should be slow. <laughs> like, like when people talk about how many words they wrote in a day, I think that is completely backwards. That is the wrong way to do it because don't just write words for the sake of it, you know? Like, that's not important. That's not valuable. Like, you can feel it, I, or at least I can, when I'm writing something rote, when I'm just trying to get from A to B. And when I feel that feeling of like, all right, I'm just slogging through this scene to get to the next scene, that's when I stop. It's like, okay, I'm packing it up for today because I'm not gonna do that. There's no reason to do that. There's no need to do that. Not only are there already a zillion books that aren't worth shit, <laughs> so why write another one? But it's also just not fun for me. If I don't enjoy getting from A to B, there's no fucking way anyone else will. There's no way, zero chance. So I might make a little note for tomorrow of like, okay, here's where I'm hung up, or I'll just leave it. I like to leave little notes though, so I can get back into the mindset the next day of like, where was I? Make a little asterisk, and then it's easy to search for the asterisk and see what yesterday's me thought was a problem. And then the next day I always come up with something better. It never, it's not like I just get stuck for days and days and days. The next day there's always something. But if there wasn't, if I got to the next day and I still just could not move forward even a tiniest little sentence or the tiniest little inch, then I guess you gotta move backward. <laughs> you gotta be like, all right, I've gotten myself into a fucking spot here that just isn't working and go back. But just as an example, cause I guess also we'll kick this off by what I did yesterday. Future podcasts will probably start with that, so if you just want to skip my ramblings, you can just hear what I did yesterday and fucking jet. But I'm right in this part where these two characters are basically meeting in a cafeteria. And they're both aliens, <laughs> so I've never really written sci-fi before. But in the case of this story, which I'll get into more as the days go, it's two aliens talking to each other. It started off just being a human on an alien space station. And like, what would that be like? How tough would that be to try to integrate? And pretty early on when I was taking notes, I just realized, well, why not make the human an alien too? Just to like ratchet it up. Not only is there this weird alien society, but the protagonist is also a weird alien who's got so, so that the cultural differences can be, like, radically different. Which is something I've learned. But as I learn more about people and just the human race, it's pretty fucking amazing how insulated and tribal human beings are. Like, you can really just be in some weird places and you're just like, wow, I cannot fucking believe everyone is just acting like this, <laughs> you know? And then you really try to turn inward I'm Canadian, so I mean, to me, I feel like Canada's pretty on the level. The stereotype about us is that we're nice and cool. But who knows, you know, it's like if those people can think that that's normal, what the fuck kind of shit am I doing that I think is normal, you know? That's basically the whole, the whole deal with this book. 
kind of reverse Star Trek of like, I don't think everyone is going to get along in the space-faring alien future. I think no one is going to get along. I think it's crazy to think that they would. So I got these two characters, you know, the one is just kind of stranded like a refugee on this alien space station and the other is like the liaison, the alien HR rep. So they meet in this cafeteria area and I was just going to have the refugee just say like, hey, so what are you doing here? You work in this building? You know, literally that's it. That's the only note. And I'm just looking at it and it's just so boring. It's like, that's the most boring thing you could say to someone. That's the most boring answer. And it does just feel rote. It's just like, well, just writing a book. Now just getting us from A to B, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, fuck this. Close this, close up shop. Come back to this tomorrow. So then yesterday when I was writing this thing, working on it, I was like, all right, we got these two people. And I've just got, you know, super generic. Hello, how are you? How are you? Let us sit and talk. Instead, I was like, well, why don't, why don't I have the, the alien who's from this station seem uncomfortable? That'd be weird, because why is he uncomfortable? It's always the protagonist that's uncomfortable. She's a fucking alien. So she comments to this guy, like, what's your deal? Like, do you not like being here? What are you, what are you so torqued up about? Like, what is this building anyway? What is this place? And he says, like, this is a school, it's like a training building. I haven't been here in a long time since my school days. And that gave me this whole idea of how schooling could work for these aliens, how their upbringing could be. Maybe they don't like it. Maybe it's unpleasant to, you know, be connected into their society and to learn how to fit in here. Even though they seem like this unified mass Maybe it's not cool for them either. And I'm just like, oh, that's so great. Like, just that one little thing that I just took the day off, waited till the next day, looked for a slightly different spin on just this tiny little conversation. It opened up a whole other thing of like, oh, that's great. That's so, just like, good, just a good feeling. I guess, I mean, I really am just kind of guided by, by feelings. If I feel like something is boring, I gotta stop. And it's all subtle, it's all tiny little things like this, but they really add up. And again, yeah, it's just chipping away at the rock, just chipping away, just chipping away. You just gotta keep chipping and eventually you'll get through. So I think that's enough introductory rambling for this episode zero. But what I wanna do here before I get into the flow proper tomorrow is I thought I would kick off with something I wrote just as an example, just in case you're curious, like, who the fuck is this guy? What is this guy's writing like? Do I give a shit about listening to this guy? Like, what if he's terrible? <laughs> you know? And I have this one thing, pardon the idling train noise, I'm by a train yard. This one story that I think would fit in perfect is I wrote this a long time ago. Back in, uh, the year 2000, I was writing this serialized story where every week I would write a new chapter, put it up on my website. And it was like my original failure, I guess, is <laughs> like, just cause I never finished it. Like it was actually catching on pretty, pretty well by the standards of the year 2000 internet. 
I didn't have a ton of readers, but I had enough, you know, enough to keep me going. I'd occasionally get email from people that I didn't know, you know, it wasn't just my friends reading it. Like sometimes people would find it and be like, hey buddy, I like this thing. But I just never quite brought it in for a landing, which then just happened again and again and again and again. And it's amazing how many times that can happen without without me realizing that it was just always gonna keep happening. <laughs> but while I was in that process, I just had a different idea. I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna write something different this week because it was the weirdest thing. Like I woke up, had an idea, spent the afternoon writing it, posted it that night, bing, bang, boom. It's one of my favorite things I ever wrote. And it was just so easy and it was like, the exception that proves the rule, because I was like, yeah, pretty, feeling pretty good about myself. Like, now that's what I call being a writer, holy shit. You just wake up, you have a great idea, you fucking bang it out, and everyone's happy. But that was, you know, like 17 years ago? 17 and a half years ago, and that never happened again. Never. That is like the total fallacy of what writing is or how writing works. Like, that's... That's the little gift from God. That doesn't happen more than that, <laughs> you know? If that happens at all, be thankful. The only other time I can think of anything remotely like that happening is about a year and a half ago, I had this idea for a novel where all day long the ideas just kept hitting me, like where I almost felt like, like manic. Like when people describe having manic episodes, I'm like, I wonder if that's what this is like because I was just writing down ideas all day. I couldn't walk half a block without like, oh wait, let me stop, let me write down that note. I fucking thought of the whole thing from the start to the end, to the title, to the fucking Tori Amos quote that would go in the inside, to uh, a clever little system for how to title the chapters that tied into one of the characters. Ridiculous. And I never did anything else with it. I've just got those notes because it's a, uh, it's actually, it's an idea for like a, uh, a transgender girl in high school. And I'm just like, dude, is that really what a fucking dude in his thirties who's not at all a transgender woman? Like, wouldn't that just, is that, can I really do that? Is that for me to do? <laughs> you know? I was like, this is probably just a fucking maelstrom of controversy that this would even cause. Now, who knows, maybe someday I'll go back to it. But that's the only other time I remember like a flood of ideas hitting me as hard. And that was, again, you know, 15 years in between bursts of hyper-creativity. That just doesn't, it's not how it fucking works. To wait for that to happen is waiting for a train that is never gonna come. <laughs> so, so, but I still, I really like this story. And again, yeah, it's like, it's, it's interesting that it was so easy for me to write just because now that it's all these years later to know that that's not something that can be relied on. That's not a realistic way to work. But I had this story, it's called Black Coffee. It's pretty short. And uh, years later, years after I wrote it, I was dating this girl when I lived in New York for a little while and she asked me what I wanted for my birthday and I told her, you know what I'd really like, I thought about it for a bit and I'm like, you know what I really would like is I've got this one story that I would love to have an audio recording of 
but the main character is like a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't want to read it because uh, my voice is far too manly for that to, to work. So I was like, hey, will you read this story for me? So she read it for me and then I like made it into a little podcast, put in some sounds and shit. But I'm gonna put that here just in case you're curious, just if you're like, I wonder what this rambly gentleman's writing is like. It's a good sense of like the tone of things, I guess. I'm real into tone. I'm actually more of a fan of tone than I am of plot. Because again, like every plot has been done. I've seen it all, we've all seen it all, 800,000 times, it's like, hey, whatever. You can break any story down to a sentence and it's fucking, I mean, this book I'm working on now, it's like, hey, aliens don't get along with each other. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, that's not what's interesting. That's not what's important. I'm real into tone, tone control. I love that, t that term because I feel like that's such a great way for people to go wrong. Like if I'm reading something and the tone isn't... When someone loses sense of their own tone of their story, I'm just like, oh shit. You know, like, that's, that's when I start to feel like someone, I'm not in good hands, you know? So anyway, enough rambling for my episode zero. Here is the story Black Coffee by Keith McNally. And starting tomorrow, we will begin the official chronicle of what work I am getting done each day and then if I have other thoughts about writing as I no doubt will because I just feel like even this long rambly episode I, like, oh, I have so many things I want to say but if this fucking podcast goes for a thousand episodes or <laughs> whatever there'll be lots of time lots of time so hopefully I'll see you tomorrow I hope you enjoy the story thanks very much Black Coffee by Keith McNally Read by Ian. When the doorbell rings, I ignore the urge to jump up, standing slowly and walking to the front door. I pause for a moment to smooth my hair, then open. David stands there, dressed in a dark blue sweater and jeans. He's holding flowers and is the very embodiment of cute. 
He smiles at me and says, Hey, Squirt. I step out of the way and let him in, glancing down. I don't know why he does stuff like that. Alice is still upstairs, I tell him, so you better get comfortable. He sits down on the couch and I go sit with him, but only to watch TV. I even raise the remote just enough to look like I'm going to use it before I turn to him. David? Sarah? Why do you like my sister? Why wouldn't I like your sister, is his dumb answer, and I give him a look to let him know how dumb he is. My sister is a total emotional cripple. I don't know what happened, if it had something to do with her dad, I don't know. But the rare times when Alice talks, you can barely hear her. She's like a ghost. Come on, don't be retarded, I say. Tell me for real. You shouldn't say that. Show some respect for retarded people. Maybe my sister's retarded. Did you ever think of that? She doesn't talk enough for anyone to really know. Hey, stop it, he says. But I know he's not really angry. Where'd you get that mouth? The same place you got your taste in women. What are these? I climb over him to get to the flowers. Which are some generic kind I don't recognize. Not roses. I take a sniff as I sit back down. They don't smell that good. That's too bad, because I got them for you. Shut up. I know he's baiting me, but I'll call his bluff if he wants me to. I take another sniff. Why would you bring me flowers? Because you're the cutest little girl in the whole world. Before I realize what he's doing, he's leaned over to give me a big kiss on the cheek. Oh, gross. I wipe it off with the back of my hand. If you're going to kiss me, at least do it right. He laughs and says, Sure, because that's an appropriate way to behave with an eight-year-old. Will you fuck off? I'm in seventh grade. So how old does that make you? I hesitate. I hate this. Thirteen? You're twelve. Your sister told me. He glances around, then says, It seems hot in here. He makes a big production of pulling off his sweater, taking his time because he knows I'm watching him from the corner of my eye. Underneath, he's wearing a long-sleeved gray shirt, and he tosses his sweater onto the couch beside him. We both turn as we hear Alice coming down the stairs behind us, and that's gotta be what it is about her. She may be a zombie. She may seem like the victim of too much shock therapy, but she's beautiful. She's wearing a simple dress and has a barrette in her hair, and she looks gorgeous. He stands up, watching her. Her mouth is characteristically unsmiling, but her eyes seem to sparkle when she sees him. That might just be my imagination. She hardly ever smiles or frowns, but he told me once that she smiles with her eyes. Though, he might just be full of shit. They don't say anything as he walks over and kisses her, and I think I see the edge of her lips curl slightly upward. Then David calls over his shoulder, Don't stay up too late, kiddo, as they disappear out the front door. I glance over and notice that his sweater is still laying on the couch.
It's about midnight before I hear his car pull back into the driveway. I'm in bed with the blankets pulled up around me, wearing a sweater. There's enough of his cologne on it that it smells like him. And since I'm only half awake, it seems a little like he's here with me instead of out on a date with Robot Girl. I drag myself to the window and watch them get out of his car. They stand in the driveway looking straight at each other, and he's all smiles while her lips are barely moving. Is she talking? They're out there for a pretty long time, holding each other's hands, having a moment. David's 18 and Alice is 17. It's not like I'm that much younger. I don't know how I even met her. Down at the Comb Award, probably. The sleeves of a sweater hang down past my hands, and I ball them up against my nose as I go back to bed. Eventually, I hear the front door open, and Alice walks up to her room so quietly, I can barely even tell she's there. I can't believe what a retard she is. This girl Jolene, one of my school friends, has her pink and purple CD player sitting on the asphalt outside of school, and she's putting in some crappy tape of some terrible pop band. Watch this, she says, already tapping a foot to the beat. I turn away a little, not really wanting to see her dance, but it's like a plane crash. I've gotta watch. The music starts, and this girl has no shame. You can tell she's done this a hundred times in her bedroom, but she's not embarrassed. She wants you to know how much work she put into it, and she's gonna be a dancer someday, and there's no room for stage fright when you wanna be a dancer. It's weird how the look on her face is so intent while she does a routine. But she never focuses on any of us. All about the performance. It's pretty fucked. All you can really do is try to get into it. So me and the other girls watching cheer her on while some boys around the corner yell that they're going to throw rocks. Which they won't. I've got my fist in the air yelling, yeah, go! While Jolene thrusts her arms down in an X then raises them while she wiggles her fingers. It couldn't be more embarrassing as David's car pulls up to the curb. Hey, he says, rolling down the window. You need a drive? I feel blood rush to my face, and I keep my eyes pointed down. I know exactly what he looks like. He's watching with a big grin, just beaming at our stupidness. And when I look up, I'm exactly right. I breathe slowly, my face blank as I open the car door and get inside. That was quite a performance, he says, watching the road but still smiling. You do that a lot? Did it look like I was doing that? It was Jolene. She's an idiot. I turn toward him. Do you think I do things like that? Hey, take it easy. It's nothing to be ashamed of. She's talented. She's pathetic. I mean, what the hell? 
I don't want to watch her do some stupid dance. You should dance with her sometime. I bet she needs a partner. Then he cracks up laughing, and I decide not to waste my breath telling him off. Then he glances over and asks, Is that my shirt? Another wave of embarrassment flows to my face as I pull my jacket closed. Yeah, you left it. Hey, don't sweat it. Keep it if you like. He doesn't say anything else, and when I look over at him, he's totally gloating. I I only wore it because it was cold this morning. He keeps grinning to himself like a moron and says, Hey, sure, no problem. Alice is in the shower and it usually takes her forever so I don't even bother waiting I walk downstairs fighting off yawn and holy shit there's David with no shirt on doing push-ups in my living room I plant myself against the wall before he sees me feeling my heart speed up I'm wearing a pair of panties and a t-shirt and I think I should probably get changed But then I think, fuck it. He's in my house for no reason without a shirt on. Let him be the uncomfortable one. So I walk past him and go into the kitchen to get some cereal. We've got Fruit Loops and Raisin Bran. And I know he's going to expect me to eat the Fruit Loops. I actually go so far as to reach for the Raisin Bran. But I can't do it. It's just too disgusting. He walks in as I'm pouring milk and says, Hey, what are you doing here? I ask, concentrating on the cereal. I stayed here last night. Your mom had to go visit a sick relative or something, and she needed somebody to look after you. (laughs) You getting paid for this gig? I glance over and see that he's still shirtless. He sits at the counter with a banana. Nope. Wait a minute. Did you sleep with my sister? Of course. So what was that like? A nice comforting block of wood to hold on to? When are you going to start being nicer to her? When are you going to put a shirt on? When are you going to put on some pants? He finishes his banana and watches me while I eat. And it makes me a little self-conscious. Putting a spoonful of cereal in your mouth shouldn't take this much concentration... How many push-ups did you do? I ask through a mouthful of cereal. Fifteen. Pfft, fifteen. That's pathetic. Haven't you ever heard of drop and give me twenty? I point with my spoon, saying, I think you better get back out there and give me at least five more. Hey, it's not like I'm trying to kill myself. It's just a wake-up. You couldn't do fifteen. Look at those little girl arms. He wraps one hand completely around my biceps. Your skin and bone. I don't know how you're lifting that spoon. Fuck off. I'm strong enough. I'm not out there wrestling bears. There's no reason to be all built. And you're one to talk. You don't have any muscles. Feel this, he says, flexing his arm. Go ahead. I gotta admit, 
the bulge in his arm is bigger than I expected. I poke it skeptically, and it feels hard, like a potato. Yeah, it's pretty big, I say, wrapping my hand partway around it. I guess. I'm still poking at him as Alice comes downstairs, her hair wet. And in her little mouse voice, she says, Shouldn't you be wearing a shirt? He grins and stands up, taking her in his arms for a big good morning kiss. Then they stare into each other's eyes. He's smiling, and she doing that weird thing where her eyes are smiling or whatever the fuck David calls it. I turn back to my cereal with a snort. I'm watching TV and it's almost 7 o'clock which is when Alice always watches her dumb doctor show it's just a glorified soap opera as far as I can tell but she thinks it's like the best thing ever she tried to explain it to me once but it didn't go well she kept pausing and choosing her words and every time I urged her on she just took longer It was ridiculous. But when she comes down and sits on the couch, I don't move or change the channel. If she wants to watch it, she can ask. It wouldn't kill her to talk to me for a change. So the show I'm watching ends, and the commercials go by, and the next show starts, and she doesn't say anything. I let it go for a couple of minutes, and she just sits there, her hands folded in her lap. She wants to watch her show, and it's killing her to miss it, but she won't say anything. Finally, I switch the channel and leave. I can't even stand to be around her. She just spends all day in her room, probably staring at some picture of David when he's not in the house sleeping with her. Do they have sex? I can't even imagine it. What would she do but lie there? The world's most realistic sex doll. She must have a picture somewhere. I've got her room more or less in disarray, looking through one of her drawers when her show ends, and I see her at the doorway. The pit of my stomach drops. I totally lost track of time. Her face doesn't change, but I I know I've done something I shouldn't have. Nobody goes into her room. It's just a rule. I'm sorry, I say, getting to my feet and walking towards her. I didn't mean... She grabs me by the collar and yanks me through the doorway and pushes me down the hallway. She doesn't look at me as she walks into her room and closes the door. I don't know why I did that. I I should just leave her stuff alone. But I thought if I could get a picture. Why should she have a picture and not me? And why doesn't she have any fucking pictures anyway?
5. Alice is downstairs reading the newspaper while she eats some toast. I walk up to her, holding David's sweater behind me. She doesn't acknowledge me at all, even after I clear my throat. I'm sorry about yesterday. I know I shouldn't be in your room. Why were you there? She asks. So quietly, it's almost a whisper. I don't know what to tell her. I figured I'd apologize and that'd be it. I was just... I thought I lost... uh, It doesn't matter. I won't do it again. Here, I say, holding out David's sweater. This is David's. He left it here the other day. She finally looks at me as she takes the shirt and says, Thank you. Then she turns back to the newspaper and adds, Please don't touch my things. Ring, ring, ring. Pick up. Hello? Hi, I say, smiling. What are you doing? Sarah, David asks. What's up? Something wrong? Listen to you, is something wrong. What would you do if there was? Run right over and save me? I'm sure you can look after yourself. You're a big girl. So why aren't you here making googly eyes at my sister? She's probably up in a room cutting herself. I'm seeing her later. So why are you calling, little Sarah? You lonely? Yes. I want you to come over and make love to me right away. He doesn't answer and I laugh at him. What? You like that idea? You're a total pervert. Hey, you're the one who said it. I mean, I continue. Why else would you be going out with Queen Catatonia? Nice. Was that one of your vocabulary words this week? I break out my best David impersonation and say, Oh, Alice, touch my dick. And then in a little breathy voice, answer, Okay. Sarah, watch your mouth. But that's what it's like, right? She probably does anything you tell her. Stand on your head. Clap three times. Take your clothes off. Okay. I mean it, Sarah, he says, but I can tell by the tone of his voice that he's actually smiling on the other end. Maybe it's a bad sign that I can say whatever I want and he never takes it seriously. Fine. Then if you're too busy to talk with me, the hell with you. I hang up the phone and go to the kitchen and get something to eat. Later, when he finally shows up, he decides to lean his elbow against my head while Alice comes downstairs. You should have heard some of the things Sarah was saying on the phone today, he tells her. Shut up, I say, wrestling my head away. Alice looks at me, and I think she looks worried. I don't know, I can't tell what the fuck she looks like. Sarah called you? 
she mutters. Don't worry, we're not moving away together, I say. Don't be so dramatic. I smile and make my exit. And I imagine that David's glare is burning a hole in my back. But probably he's not looking at me at all. Hey, stop it! David pushes me down on the couch and starts tickling me, and I hate that, but I can't stop him. I start laughing so hard tears are starting, and it feels terrible. I can hardly even think straight with the feeling of his fingers up under my shirt, touching my skin. I'm doing everything I can to get away from him while he stays over top of me, grinning at my helplessness. Alice comes downstairs and I expect David to stop, but he doesn't. He keeps tickling me right up until she's standing right next to us. Finally, he lets up and I lay on my side, trying to catch my breath, when he grabs the leg of my sweatpants and yanks them down. I scream as I try to pull them back up, but he pulls them completely off and tosses them across the room. What are you doing? Alice quietly asks as I scramble to get my pants. Just showing her who's boss, David says with a smile, taking her by the hand. Stay out of trouble, he calls over his shoulder as the two of them leave, and I watch them as I pull my pants back on. I don't think he necessarily had to prove that he could beat me in a fight. I was just saying, he should learn to relax. When David comes downstairs after another night spent in Alice's room, wearing a t-shirt and boxers, I'm blowing on a cup of black coffee. I'd been procrastinating about drinking it, but now that he's here, I have to do something with it. What's that? He asks, getting an orange from the fridge. Coffee. Looks black. Yep. He peels the orange while he watches me stare at the coffee cup, then says... You gonna drink that? It's too hot. Why don't you put something in it? Some sugar or something? No way. I mean, what's the point of drinking coffee with stuff in it? That's not real coffee. Fair enough. He gets a piece of the orange. So why do you want to drink coffee? 
I was thinking it'd be a good thing to do. I mean, I'm pretty tired in the morning. It helped pick me up. Hmm. He keeps eating the orange while I keep staring at the coffee cup. Eventually, he says, So, your sister thinks I should be more gentle with you. She actually talked about me? That must be a first. Yeah, she doesn't talk about you much. What does she talk about anyway? I can't even imagine having a conversation with her. It's always just little nods and tiny sentences. You ever tried talking with her? I look at him skeptically. No, not really. Do you try talking to slugs? They're about as likely to initiate a conversation. He shrugs. So you gonna drink that coffee or what? Yeah. I stare at it for another few seconds, then bring the cup to my lips. The taste is disgusting. So totally bitter that I have to pull it away while my face scrunches up involuntarily. He laughs. Yeah, he says, finishing the orange and walking out of the kitchen. Kids hate coffee. Nine. I've been sitting in Alice's closet for a really long time before her and David finally come home, and I kind of got a pee. But now that they're here, I sit up and stare through the crack in her closet door. I gotta see what it is they do in here. They come upstairs quietly, probably not wanting to wake me up and lock the bedroom door behind them. David stands behind her and kisses her neck as her hands reach up to run through his hair and he undoes the neck of her dress. The front falls forward and all of a sudden, bam, there they are, tits. It's a little shocking. Clothed one second, naked the next, One of his hands moves up to cup around her breast as the other one reaches back to turn off the light. Shit. I didn't think of that. Of course Alice wouldn't be the type who'd want the light on. Then she might actually have to see something. They must be experts at this because they get undressed and get into bed super quietly and I can only hear the occasional sound of the bed creaking or my sister making some tiny gasp. I lean back against the wall of her closet, frowning in the darkness. This is really stupid. There's no way I can get out of here now, so I just sit, listening to them hardly making noise. I wake up disoriented, and enough light comes through the crack in the door that I know it's morning. Jesus, Jesus, I need to fucking piss super fucking bad. 
Peering through the crack, I see that Alice and David are still asleep. I open the closet as quietly as I can and creep across the room, but I pause after I've opened the bedroom door. David's sleeping with his arm around Alice, and she's smiling. She's definitely smiling. I've never seen her smile that much before. It's strange. But I gotta lock the door behind me and go to the bathroom because I've never had to piss this badly in my life. I sit on the toilet and it feels so good that I exhale one long breath. My eyes closed as my head slumps down against my knees. Fuck, I'm never doing that again. Eleven. I'm reading a book in the kitchen for school, and it's actually not that bad. But after every chapter, I gotta write a summary to prove that I read it. That's ridiculous. Just because some goons in my class don't do work, I gotta prove to some teacher that I actually did the reading? It's insulting. Alice comes in and sits down across from me. I don't think anything of it, just keep reading. But after a few minutes, she talks to me. I put the book down. What? She looks down at the table and doesn't answer. She just sits there, and it's driving me nuts. I just want to grab her and shake her. All I asked was what she said. Would it kill her to repeat a couple of goddamn words? Do you like David? She finally asks, and I sigh. What a stupid question. Yeah, sure, I say, lifting up the book again but not actually reading it. I told him to be nicer to you, she says in her little girl voice. It sounds way more like a kid than mine does. Yeah, he told me. I glance up at her and smile. We talk a lot when you're not around. I think he comes over sometimes when he knows you're not here just so we can talk. She's quiet for a little while, then says, I think we're gonna get married. Oh, really? I lower the book enough for her to see my bemused expression. You set a date? I haven't asked him, but I think he'll ask me. Eventually. It's weird to think of the fairy tales that must go on in her head. She spends so much time in there that her fantasies must get pretty elaborate. I mean, sure, maybe they'll get married someday, but I just know whatever's going on in her brain is all bluebirds and rainbows and crystal cathedrals. So, I imagine that won't be anytime soon, I say. You're only 17. You'll probably want to wait a while. I don't know. She smiles a little. Maybe. Yeah, well, you know. In the meantime, you might want to get a cat or something. Twelve. Married. 
I'm laying in bed in the middle of the afternoon on top of the sheets, and I don't know why it bugs me. It's not like I want to marry him. I just don't know why he's interested in her. There must be hundreds of normal girls his age in the city. And really, five years. That's not a lot of time. If I was 30 and he was 35, nobody'd think twice. If I was seven and he was 12, no, I guess somebody'd be upset about that. But the point is that if I was just a little older, he wouldn't treat me like a kid. He probably only talks to me because he thinks it's funny. My life is a dark room. One big dark room. Except it's light out. And this room is small. I don't know why Alice gets the big room. This whole thing is bullshit. Thirteen. I don't know why I like David. It's not like there's anything special about him. He's really a pretty boring guy. If he wrote a book, it would be crappy. If he was in a band, they would suck. It doesn't really make sense. But I'm happy while I'm talking to him on the phone. And he asked me if Alice is there. Yeah, she's here. She can't use sign language over the phone, though. I don't want to talk to her, he tells me. I just wanted to make sure she's there. Today's our six-month anniversary. I'll be over soon. Don't tell her I called. You got it, Chief. Great, thanks. He hangs up before I have a chance to say anything else. But in a split second, I formulate a plan. I go to the kitchen and I throw out all the eggs, then march upstairs and bang on Alice's door. Alice! There's no answer, so I bang harder. I don't have any time to waste. Alice! Her door opens and she peeks out. Yes? We're out of eggs again, and I'm tired of going to get them. Mom always makes me go, and I don't see why you can't go for once in your life. I mash some money into her palm and say, Come on, I've got to make dinner, and I can't make an omelet until you go get them. She steps slowly into the hallway and says, Okay. Totally shell-shocked, just because I asked her to do a simple thing. I follow her downstairs and wait while she puts on her shoes, making sure she's out the door and on her way down the street before I go upstairs. The store's pretty far away. It should take her a while. Looking around for something to wear is a lost cause. I don't have anything even remotely sexy. I check mom's room, but everything's too big, and there's no point in checking Alice's room. I found some lingerie in there that David must have bought for her, but that would be going a little far. And once again, it's too big for me anyway. I look at myself in my closet mirror and sigh. I'm only wearing a bra and panties, and let's be honest, I don't need the bra. I look like a boy. It's sad. I think it'd be worse if David were attracted to me. He'd have to have some real problems to find my body sexy. I finally settle on an old dress, just because it's really small now. 
it's a purple and pink floral thing. Kind of ugly. But it only comes down to my mid-thigh. I don't know. I think this maybe might be kind of hot. It's probably the closest I'm going to get. I was considering putting on some pantyhose, but that might seem a little obvious. Plus, if you noticed how bunched up they were under my dress to make up for my short legs, it'd probably just make him laugh. I'm tired of making him laugh. I gotta get something else out of him. I gotta make him start thinking about me differently. I gotta drive a few spikes in. Maybe they won't take right away, but eventually, a few years from now when I'm old enough, he'll leave my brain-dead sister and stay with me. I'm thinking in the long run, so I've got plenty of time. I just have to plant some seeds. I have time to put on a little makeup before David shows up, and I give him a big smile as I open the door. He's all dressed up, a suit and a tie, so I guess he's planning on taking her somewhere fancy. Bad news, I tell him. Alice had to go off somewhere with Mom. I'm sure they'll be back soon. Really? Shit. I sit down on the couch and he sits down next to me. Where'd they go? I don't know. They didn't say. I didn't want to try to stop her. It might have blown your cover. Yeah, I guess. Thanks. So where are you taking her? I want to ask about something besides my sister, but I can't think of anything. He starts telling me about this restaurant he's got reservations at, and how nice it is, and I ask him if it's expensive, and he says yes, and I let him blather on a little more as I kick off my shoes. I don't know how I should do this. Hey, I say, crawling over him. I was looking for this. There's a picture of me and Alice on the table beside the couch, and I spend a moment looking at it with my butt stuck in the air. When I glance up at him, he's looking down at me with his hands hovering, like he wants to pick me up and get me off him, but doesn't want to touch me. I take the picture and I sit myself straddled across his lap, facing him. Wasn't she cute in this pic, I ask, pointing to Alice, who was about 14 at the time. He smiles. Yeah, she showed me some photo albums. She was always cute. So how old are you in this picture? About five? He grins a big goofy smile, expecting me to get indignant, but I just look away as I place the picture on the couch. Why do you say things like that? Do you think I like being this young? What's the matter with it? Being a kid is great. I don't want to be a kid. I suppose you probably put bugs in people's hair and played Little League, but I don't want to do that stuff. I'm tired of it. You'll grow up fast enough. Would you mind getting off me? You're getting heavy. I look at him. Why? Is it so bad to have me close to you? Am I just some kind of annoyance? If Alice were here, would you make her get off you? I don't see what this has to do with her, he says, looking all confused. Man, what a dumb guy. I'm just getting tired of you spending all your time with her. You and me barely ever get to talk. Yeah, he says slowly. Well, she is my girlfriend. 
But why? What do you see in her? What could anybody see in her? Hey, watch it, he says, lowering his brow. What's your problem? Why do you always have to defend her? You want me to not say anything when you insult my girlfriend? She's my sister. I can say what I want. And I'm not insulting her. I just want to know why you hang around with her so much. What is there to gain? Do you actually like her? I mean, how could you? Why don't we just paint a face on a big rock for you? Wouldn't that be good? Is it sex? Is she just a sex toy to you? Jesus, listen to yourself. How could you be so... What? What am I being? A bitch? Just because I don't clam up all the time? So something happened to her as a kid. I don't even know what it is. So somebody felt her up or something. Who cares? What excuse does that give her to be so distant all the time? He seems a little shocked, just staring at me. So I stare back. Is that why you like her? So you have somebody to look after? Somebody who needs you? Why would you waste your life? Who the fuck cares about her? I hear a noise and look back to see that Alice has dropped the carton of eggs on the floor. And I have no idea how she got back so soon. Her placid face has curled into a frown that looks almost funny on her. I've never seen her lips move so far downward. She brings her hands up to her face as David stands up, pushing me to the floor. My back slams into the coffee table and I reach back to hold it as he grabs my other arm and yanks it so hard it feels like it's going to come out of its socket. He drags me to her and says, apologize to her. Come on, she's just apologize. I look up at the angry expression on his face and he doesn't seem even remotely cute. Why am I supposed to apologize because she feels bad? Fuck that. I try to stand up, but he's got a hand on my head to hold me down, so I squirm out of the way. No, I say, getting to my feet. Why should I apologize? I've spent my whole life tiptoeing around her so I wouldn't disturb this robot bitch. Why do you want anything to do with her? She's broken. I stare straight into her glassy eyes and yell, You're fucking broken! She starts to cry as her knees bend, and David holds onto her to keep her from falling. Even her crying is quiet, and the last thing I see as I walk up the stairs is her being held by him, her face buried against his clothes, and her arm clamped around him like a vice. Fourteen. I sit on one of the swings at the park, watching my feet drag across the ground. I couldn't stay in the house, laying in my room, knowing that Alice was right down the hall in her bedroom, crying on David's shoulder. It was too much. 
so I left the house and walked a couple of blocks to the playground. On my way here, I noticed the convenience store they'd built last month. I forgot about that. I've been sitting on the swing for half an hour, about two hours since I yelled at Alice, when I hear footsteps behind me. Looking back, I see David, and he doesn't seem upset. I turn away and lean my head against the chain of the swing, frowning slightly. He crouches down behind me and slides his arms around my waist. I squirm a little, not trying very hard to get away from him, but still feeling a little uncomfortable. How'd you know I was here? I mutter. Alice says you come here sometimes, he answers quietly, his mouth next to my ear. And, you know, little kids like swings. Are you still going to call me a little kid? After today? Jesus. You're lucky I think of you as a kid, he says, his voice a bit harder. I'd only put up with what you did today from a child. I'd only put up with it from someone who doesn't know better. I bite my bottom lip and turn my head away, but I don't say anything. I know you know better, he says. I know you're not a kid, but I'm going to pretend you are because I like you too much to have to stop talking to you just because you made one dumb mistake. So play along, because for an adult there'd be no excuse for what you said. I feel the same flood of emotion I felt two hours ago, and I want to ask him what's so bad about what I did, and why he cares about her, but I hold it back. I take a deep breath, and instead I ask him, so what happened to her? Why is she like that? He sighs. I don't think I'm the one to tell you, and I don't think she could explain it if she wanted to. And if your mom hasn't told you yet, then maybe there's a good reason. He sighs again, staring out at the playground and says, maybe when you're older. We stay there for a few moments. And I really do like the feeling of his arms around me, his head on my shoulder, his smell. I rock a little in the swing, taking my hands from the chains and letting them fall into my lap where they rest against his arms. What I don't understand is why you do that, he says. Why would you say those things to your sister? I know you have a crush on me. I pull away but his arms hold me tight, so I give in and stay still. But that's no reason to treat her that way. You know that she's delicate. She can't deal with that kind of abuse, and especially not from you. I feel his eyes on me as he says, she loves you. I look down. I don't see why. She doesn't have any reason to. You're her sister. I don't think she needs a reason. Don't you love her? I think about it, and honestly, I don't. I can't. There isn't enough of her to love. She's not like a real person. 
That's why I can't stand David being with her. That's why I can't understand why he's doing this. Married? Married? What kind of marriage is that? What kind of mother would she be? What kind of life would... I draw another deep breath, then say, Yeah, I love her. There's no sense rehashing this. It's not going to reach him anyway. Good. Because I'm in love with her. He gives me a kiss on the cheek and says, And I love you too. Don't forget that. Alice is my girlfriend, but I'm glad she has you as a sister. I hate to think what it would be like if I'd never met you, Sarah. My life is so much better because of knowing you. I blush. Stupid cheesy, sentimental crap that he probably doesn't even mean. He's just saying what I want him to say. But it makes me smile, anyway. He smiles, too, then lets me go as he stands up. I'm going back to the house. Alice is still in a pretty bad state, but she wanted me to check on you. Then he adds, And I wanted to check on you, too, because we both care about you. Yeah, yeah, give it a rest. Go ahead, I'll see you at the house. I spin a little in my swing, not enough to turn all the way around, saying, And tell her I'm sorry? I will. He pats me on the head. Later, kiddo. I wait a few minutes, making sure he's well out of sight before I get up and go to the convenience store. I get a black coffee and stare at it for a few seconds, remembering how bad it tastes. This time I put a bunch of sugar and cream in it. The guy at the counter looks at me a little funny as I hand over the money. I try my best to drink it, but it's still terrible, even with all the stuff in it. So halfway home I take a last drink and throw it out. Grown-ups can keep their coffee. They must be stupid to drink it in the first place. Turn and leave